Wednesday, November 29 edition of PFTPM. We're back to the normal schedule after last week where we did the Picks podcast on Wednesday, PFTPM on Friday, today, Wednesday. And we've got plenty to get to, including an interview coming up that we're going to tuck into this podcast. I did it yesterday with Dolphin Safety, Javon Holland, one of the heroes of the Black Friday game with that 99-yard interception return for a touchdown on a failed Hail Mary. We've got about 10 minutes or so with him. I've got a few other topics I want to get to first, and then I'll answer the best of your questions. Before we get to that, though, I've got some old business to attend to. We talked on Friday about the free kick that the Packers could have attempted at the end of the first half in the game against the Lions on Thanksgiving. I've been aware of the free kick for decades. I'm aware of it because, and I don't know if I mentioned this last Friday because I don't really remember things very well anymore, but I know about it. And I think I did mention it because now I'm remembering the the title of the book. I thought it was Strange But True Football Stories. And then I remembered it is more Strange But True Football Stories. I found it and I bought it. And I knew instantly when I started looking through it, that it was exactly the book that I remembered. And then I started looking at the table of contents and I'm like, okay, where's the one? Where's the one about the free kick? And wouldn't you know it, it was the very last chapter, chapter number 28 at page 146. It arose from a 1968 Bears Packers game where the Packers were on the wrong end of the free kick. Game was tied at 10 in the fourth quarter. Bart Starr could not move the Packers deep in their own end. They were on their own 15-yard line, threw three incomplete passes in a row, punted. The Bears, Cecil Turner, called for a fair catch at the 43. What followed was confusion. And this is a dramatic reading straight from More Strange But True Football Stories compiled and edited by Xander Hollander from the Punt, Pass, and Kick Library. What followed was confusion. Mac Percival, the Bears place kicker, trotted onto the field. It seemed odd that with time for several plays, the Bears would try a field goal from the 43-yard line. Remember, at the time, the goalpost was at the front of the end zone, so it would have been a 50-yard field goal, which is a very long field goal back in 1968, but 43 yards from the crossbar. Then the referees began consulting with both teams. The Packers began walking toward their own goal. At first, the fans thought a penalty had been called, but then they noticed that the Chicago players weren't following the Packers down the field. Then Chicago's Richie Pettibone knelt down at the 43 and set the ball up as if he were holding it for a field goal kicker. What was going on? The writer asks. Coach Dooley of the Bears had invoked one of the most unusual and least used rules in football. The rule book says that after a fair catch, the team with the ball may put the ball into play, either with standard play from scrimmage or with a free kick. The opposing team must be 10 yards away from the ball. That's why the Packers were walking. And if the ball clears the goalpost on the kick, it counts as a field goal. The Packers and Green Bay fans watched helplessly as Chicago kicker Mac Percival got set to kick. No one could rush him or block the kick, so he took his time. The kick was perfect. Chicago went ahead 13-10. to 10. And that was that. And the Bears won. And that's exactly what the Packers could have done from what would have been a 66-yarder. So from their own 44, that was where the fair catch was. And if you remember from last week's podcast, and I frankly barely do, 
They ran a play, had time for a field goal. They tried a 63-yard field goal because snaps bought and hold. It's 17 yards from where you snap the ball. But if they would have just done the free kick, it would have been 66 yards with the ability to run up like it's a kickoff. And how many times do we see a kick from the 35 almost make it through the goalpost? So opportunity missed by the very team that was burned by the free kick back in 1968. And the only reason I know about the free kick is more strange but true football stories, which I ordered back in 1973 from the punt, pass, and kick library. And it had plenty of other selections. And I frankly had several of them. And they are in my library today, which is exactly where this is going into the library, into the archives, and it will stay there until they're selling off all my stuff after I croak one of these days, hopefully later rather than sooner. Since we're talking about books, let me just make, let me make my periodic pitch on our way home. 999 print edition. I mean, 999 for this thing. That's a steal. 399 for the ebook, even more of a steal. 260 some pages, hours, several hours, depending upon how quickly you read of enjoyment. It's a story that, I mean, it's not fun and games the whole way. It's got kind of a heavy, dark-ish Thing, but you know so did it's a wonderful life until the very end like it was just kind of meandering around and then it took a very dark turn and the guy's thinking about committing suicide and then he eventually decides he wants to live and the last five minutes is worth it it's worth that everything you went through to get to the last five minutes this is kind of like that you got to go through some stuff the main character goes through some stuff that's what makes the ending so memorable so anyway remember every penny that i get from this goes to the humane society of harrison county We've raised a decent amount of money so far, but keep buying it for yourself or for others. It's, look, you're trying to think, what am I going to get this person? What am I going to get that person? If you have people in your life that come to PFT that are vaguely familiar with me and you need to buy them something, $9.99, exclusively at Amazon. I'm trying to get it so the light doesn't reflect. See, that's not good. That's not how you want to present it. You want to present it like that, like, 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 like that, like this. Either way, there. Look, it looks even bigger. $9.99. And while you're at it, father of mine, boom, got it here too. $14.99. And this one's thicker. This one's longer. This one takes longer to read. There's a lot of words in this. I have many words. I have all the best words, and they're all in here. $14.99 for the print edition. $4.99 for the ebook. If you were paying attention on Friday, Black Friday, you could have gotten it for $1.99, but that was a one-day-only thing. $4.99 for the ebook. $14.99 for this baby. And this is another one too. And this one, this one is... This one's got some heft to it. You could whack somebody with this in self-defense, only in self-defense, not as an offensive weapon, but only if you're being attacked by a bear or another human. This is a way to maybe fend off any and all potential organisms that would want to inflict violence upon you because this really, it's got a nice little, I prefer that you read it, but if you want to do something useful for it, it would be, far more effective than the other book and this this one's just too flimsy you don't want to use it it's gonna it's gonna fall apart it's old it's like you know you don't want to use this as a weapon this one yes all right let's get to it eventually i know sorry you can't get the last seven minutes of your life back no matter how hard you try caleb williams usc quarterback says it's a game time decision as to whether he's entering the draft kind of mixing his metaphors there a little bit but the point is he claims he's going to run it all the way up until the end now his camp has been at least willing to test the waters when it relates to his options. And, and I fully support that. The players who are regarded as the top prospects each year need to ignore this whole honor and a privilege baloney 
that the NFL feeds to everyone. And the players are brainwashed. The fans are brainwashed. We all love the draft so much. How dare anyone even suggest that they're not going to submit to the NFL's version of the Harry Potter sorting hat? It's your destiny. It's it's written in the stars. This is what, no, 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 baloney, baloney. You make your own destiny. You decide where you're going to play. And the difference between going to a bad team and a good team is big enough that you should be willing, if you're one of the top prospects, to say, and Caleb Williams can say one of two things, I'm going to go back to USC. And he could end up being the first guy ever to skip a bowl game and then come back and play the next year. That could happen, depending upon how the season shakes out and who will have the first overall pick in the draft. He could do that, or he could just say, you know what? I'm going to be going through this next year too. There's always a bad team that has the first overall pick in the draft. So I'm always going to be at the mercy of whoever that team is. And obviously teams can trade, but when you make the decision to enter the draft, you're kind of stuck. You don't know what's going to happen. The better play is to say, I know who has the first overall pick and I will never sign a contract with them. John Elway did it in 1983. Eli Manning did it in 2004. And Bo Jackson kind of did it in 1986. He didn't want to play football. Specifically, he didn't want to play for the Buccaneers. He said so. He said, don't draft me. And they did. A year later, their rights expired. And the Raiders took a seventh round, I believe, flyer on Bo Jackson. And they had a guy who helped them win until that freak injury that caused hip surgery that ended his football career and eventually his baseball career. So I fully support any effort by Caleb Williams to push back against the draft industrial complex. Look at Bryce Young right now. Bryce Young versus CJ Stroud. Now, nobody expected Stroud to be this good, but Stroud's in a situation where his skill set, his ability, the players around him, the blockers he has at his disposal, it's working. Bryce Young, it's not working, and maybe it's not because of him, but he gets branded a bust, and that stays with him. And look at how quarterbacks get such limited time nowadays to make it work in the NFL. And if they don't, it's on to your second chance. If you get one, you're a backup for several years. You got to wait for an opportunity. You've got that taint. You've got that stink. You've got that scar of being a bust. Makes it hard to sell to a fan base. I mean, look at Zach Wilson. I think we've come to the conclusion that Zach Wilson just doesn't have it. But maybe he would have had it if he would have been in a place where he gets nurtured better right out of the gates. And he's brought along more slowly and he builds his confidence. And maybe he sits. Maybe some of these guys do need to sit. And my position has always been, if you think a guy that you're using a top five pick on needs to sit, then draft somebody who you think doesn't need to sit. Very few teams have the luxury of saying, we're going to use a top pick on a player and he's not going to play at all this year. The Chiefs pulled it off with Patrick Mahomes because they had a perennial playoff team. They had a team that they knew could get to a certain level, but they had come to the conclusion Alex Smith couldn't get them to a higher level. So they'd give it one more year with Smith. They resisted the temptation to flip to Patrick Mahomes because the offense kind of sputtered halfway through the 2017 season. And then next year, boom, every single year after that, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, getting to the AFC championship game and hosting it. It's amazing. They've only been to three Super Bowls when you think about it. They've won two. They lost a third one and they almost got to. Another one that coin flip overtime rules have changed since then that hurt them there. And they blew a big lead against the Bengals. They could have five straight Super Bowl appearances, five in a row. And 
they may keep going, all because everything worked out well for Mahomes and for the Chiefs and for the way that they were able to be patient with him. So if you're Caleb Williams or, you know, insert the year, insert the name of the player who's the top prospect, you want to find yourself another Kansas City Chiefs situation. You want to try to engineer things so you go there. There's a team that wants you. There's a team that needs you. There's a team that you want. There's a team that you need. Use your leverage to make it happen. And the ultimate leverage for a guy like Caleb Williams is to say, I just won't play. Draft me. I'll sit out the whole year and I'll re-enter the draft pool next year. And next year, maybe they'll take me seriously. Now, the ultimate nuclear option for a player coming in who doesn't like where he's drafted the first year or the second year is to sit out two full years, then you become an undrafted free agent the next year, and you can pick your team. Your salary is grossly limited by the money available to undrafted free agents, but after a couple of years, you can get a big contract. That's the way to do it. There is a way. If you're willing to sit out two years, there is a way to go to whichever team you want to go to. But then there's the question, if you sit out two years of football, are you still going to be the guy that you would have been? And you put so much pressure on yourself to perform. And to prove that approach right, because it's not going to be popular with the fans. It's not going to be popular with the media. There's so many people in the media who just don't care. Entertain us. Shut up and submit to the process. Be glad that you're here. You're making millions of dollars. Why are you putting demands on the situation? You're wrong. We're right. I've been trying to, to affect change in that regard and maybe get the media to lead the way with the fans, to get fans to understand if it was you, if it was your son, if it was your nephew, if it was your brother, if it was anyone in your life that you care about, you'd want what's best for him. And playing for the worst team in the league, the team that earned the top spot in the draft may not be what, what's best for him. So uh, keep that in mind as Caleb Williams considers his options and awaits his final decision which will be influenced or at least should be influenced by how the draft shakes out. But what he should decide to do is exert whatever pressure he can on the process to go where he believes his career will get off to the best possible start. We mentioned this earlier today on PFT Live, and this is a game I was talking to somebody yesterday who said, look, the NFL needs to hype the hell out of Eagles 49ers on Sunday. It should be a bigger deal than it is. And maybe it'll feel like a bigger deal as we get closer to Sunday, but it's the game of the year. It's one versus two. It's Nebraska versus Oklahoma. It, I don't know how often it happens. A person I was talking to yesterday said, how was the last time number one versus number two in your power rankings played each other? It's like, I don't know, but maybe we should know. Maybe when it happens where the consensus two best teams in the league get together, maybe that should be a big deal. Maybe there should be bunting. John Madden used to say that for the opening day of the season, there should be bunting on the stadium, but it maybe should be a bigger deal. And it is a big deal. 49ers at the Eagles. And the stakes are tremendous because if there's going to be a rematch in the postseason, the winner of this game has the tiebreaker in the event they end up with the same record to determine whether it's at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara or back to Philadelphia, which is a huge difference, huge difference for these two teams. So I still think San Francisco is the better team when healthy, but Will it surprise me if the 49ers outplay the Eagles, but the Eagles still find a way to win? They've got that find-a-way mentality. Whatever it takes, we don't get freaked out. We don't get down in the dumps. We don't accept that today's not our day. We keep fighting. We keep pushing. We keep believing that we will win. Great game, game of the year, but a high bar set last week by the Bills and the Eagles for game of the year. And that's another reason why I like the 49ers make my official pick tomorrow, but the 49ers had an easier game on Thursday night, a few extra days to rest. 
the Eagles were in that meat grinder against the Bills, and then they got to turn it around and do it again. The best news for the Eagles, they didn't have to travel anywhere. They were home for the Bills. They're home for this one. But maybe they're going to be a little banged up, a little mentally beaten down, or who knows? Maybe beating the Bills in overtime gave them the kick in the ass they need to just go on a tear and end up 16-1, and one, not just 10-1. and one. A couple of other issues I want to get to. There isn't an opportunity to get into it during PFT Live and during the season especially. The legal issues that seem to come up for the NFL, for the teams, for the owners, for the people involved in the business, they easily get overlooked because – it's a stream of bright, shiny objects. Thursday night football, bright, shiny object. All day Sunday, bright, shiny objects across the board all day long. Monday night, we're getting to the time of the year where there's going to be Saturday games. We had a Friday game. It's hard to really press pause on talking about football and focus on non-field, off-field, whatever field I want to say as I try to say it. Issues are worthy of consideration. And one lawsuit I want to talk about. This one popped up yesterday. Jerry Jones is involved in litigation that currently spans two different lawsuits. One is, and this is the original one, it was filed by a 26-year-old woman named Alexandra Davis who contends that Jones is her father. And there was a confidentiality agreement that was involved. She wants that to be torn up. She wants a paternity test to prove that Jones is her father. Apparently, there was a court order last year that there will be a paternity test. And for whatever reason, it hasn't happened yet. But that's the first lawsuit. The second lawsuit arises from Davis's issues with the way Jones and people connected to him react to the first lawsuit, painting her as extort money from Jerry Jones, telling lies about her. Now, her initial defamation lawsuit had to be revised because she's a limited public figure. There's a higher bar for public figures. You have to plead your case. You have to use stronger language. You have to be able to prove that there was actual knowledge that the things that were being said were false. But this one has a little bit of a twist in it because when the judge opened the door to refiling the lawsuit, of course, you take it back to the lab. You write what you need to write. You craft it the way you need to craft it. And you go forward. And Jones and the other defendants will surely try to get the case knocked out again. But this time around, there's an allegation that the defendants worked with Don Van Natta Jr. of ESPN to basically get the negative word out about Alexander Davis. Now, the way that I read ESPN's characterization of this new lawsuit, I haven't seen the lawsuit. And there's an item without a byline at ESPN.com. Most of these stories, at least some, probably most, were written by Don Van Natta Jr. Now that he's implicated in it, his name doesn't appear on the story. But in that story, you get the impression, the way it's written, possibly down the road, there could be a claim that ESPN is responsible as well, depending upon what ESPN did or didn't do to confirm the veracity of the things that were being said by Jones, by others connected to him, to Van Natta that then became stories posted at ESPN that may have painted Alexander Davis in a negative light. So that's one that I don't know how much time and attention it's going to occupy for Jerry Jones. He seems to be fully focused on his football team, but it's not something that's just going to go away. They're going to try to make it go away 
So Jerry Jones never has to deal with it. So he never has to show up in a conference room at a law office and be questioned for seven or eight hours about the situation. So he never has to give the paternity test, which again, a court order is out there saying he needs to do it. So the lawyers will fight and fight on his behalf. At some point, though, it may be something he has to deal with. Which brings me to the other lawsuit, the one that was filed back in September by Jim Trotter, former employee of NFL media against the league. The basic argument is Jim Trotter was agitating internally and through two commissioner press conferences where Trotter specifically asked the commissioner questions about his concerns in a public setting externally. This idea that Trotter was trying to enhance diversity and inclusion in the newsroom. His argument is we cover a league where 70% of the players are black. There needs to be greater representation or any representation of the black athlete in the newsroom, his perspective, how to understand the cultural realities as players are covered. And Trotter said, basically, there's no supervisors, no managers who are black in the NFL media newsroom. And there's an underrepresentation in the newsroom itself. And that's what he was he was trying to improve it. You know, he saw a problem in the workplace and he was trying to improve it by raising the concerns and raising the concerns. And see, a lot of people react to that by saying, well, he's just a troublemaker, get rid of him. But that's not how it works. There are certain things where the law encourages people to be a troublemaker. The law, you know, the legal system doesn't have the resources to go around and right every wrong that's happening in corporate America. So, you know, there are certain types of lawsuits out there that you can file where along with whatever you recover in court as compensation for whatever you went through, you also get an award of attorney's fees because the law realizes there are certain situations where you want to empower private attorneys to basically act as attorneys general who prosecute things that shouldn't be happening that the government doesn't have the time or the resources to pursue. And Claims of this nature, violations of the Civil Rights Act, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act from the 60s, other state-level Human Rights Act claims. They have what's called a fee-shifting provision where you have that extra incentive. You, the government wants people who believe that the law is being violated in these areas to do something about it. So this is something the law encourages Number one, someone to complain about. And number two, if they suffer what the law calls adverse employment action, in this case, Trotter's contract expires and it's not renewed, and they're saying, well, it was budgetary, he should have the right to take it to court and test those theories, test those facts, and try to prove that they're just saying it was budgetary as a pretext for basically wanting to get rid of a troublemaker. I hope that makes some sense. But the bottom line is, he's a troublemaker making good trouble making trouble that the law wants him to make. And if he's retaliated against for making good trouble in the workplace, he has an opening into court. So he files his lawsuit. The NFL's frontline position, and we know they're eventually going to say when push comes to shove, it has nothing to do with Jim Trotter. It's just budgetary. Good luck proving that. That's something that'll play out in time. For now, see what they try to do, and this is part of the playbook when you get sued as a major corporation or you know anybody anybody who gets sued the first thing you try to do is come up with a way to knock it out motion to dismiss that's what the nfl plans to do and their argument is basically if everything he's saying is true the law allows us to do what we did and 
that's a that's a delicate argument to make from a PR standpoint. We wrote about this the other day. Trotter's lawyers call this argument by the NFL morally abhorrent. Basically, it's saying, yeah, we did it, but we're allowed to do it. Yeah, okay, he was complaining about lack of inclusion and diversity in the newsroom, but nothing keeps us from not keeping him as an employee. The law doesn't require us to not consider that. We're allowed to say, we don't want this troublemaker who's trying to shine a light on issues of diversity and inclusion. And even if they're right legally, and I don't think they are, that is a delicate and difficult argument to make. For example, before Title VII of the Civil Rights Act was interpreted to extend a sexual orientation, some employers wouldn't argue in court that there's no protection for sexual orientation because the implication is we think we have the right to hire and fire people based on sexual orientation. And damn it, we're going to do it if we want to. It can make you look very bad. It can make you look uncaring. It can make you look unfeeling. It can make you look like you are not a good person if you think that the law allows you to do something that maybe morally you shouldn't do. Well, the law allows me to fire someone based on sexual orientation, so I did it. The law allows me to do it. The law doesn't say I can't do it. See, there were employers who wouldn't make that argument before the law evolved to the point where sexual orientation is protected under Title VII. As it relates to Trotter, this argument that the NFL is allowed to fire him because it didn't like the fact that he was agitating for greater representation in the newsroom, that he took it public by questioning the commissioner twice. We're allowed to do it. I, just, I hope the the folks who cover the NFL, the folks who cover sports media, understand that implication. The NFL is basically saying, we're allowed to do it, and we did it, and we'll do it again. Yes, we're allowed to do it. Don't you be a troublemaker on these issues, because we're allowed under the law. We believe we're allowed under the law to use that against you. It's a tough argument. It's a tough argument. And it doesn't mesh with all the messaging that we've gotten from the NFL over the past few years about their issues, their positions, their attitude toward matters of race. And you know, at some point, that trail of breadcrumbs is going to lead to the players who are going to realize maybe they've been sold a bill of goods here, and maybe the league doesn't really care the way it claims it cares with the messages on the helmets and the messages at the back of the end zone, that that's just lip service. When push comes to shove and you've got someone who believes he was fired, his contract wasn't renewed when he wanted it to be, because he agitated in favor of positive change as it relates to diversity and inclusion in the NFL media workplace. If the NFL's position is, the law allows us to do it, so we did it. I, I hope that people understand what the NFL is really saying here, and I hope that people will react accordingly. All right. Without further ado, here is yesterday's interview with Dolphin safety Javon Holland, one of the heroes of the Black Friday 34-13 win by the Dolphins over the New York Jets. Joining us now, guy who had the most exciting play of Week 12, if not the entire season, Javon Holland, Dolphin safety. Javon, welcome. How are you, buddy? I'm well. I'm well. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate some of your time. It really was one of those moments where – as it's unfolding, as someone watching the game, I couldn't believe it was happening. What is happening in your own mind, if anything? Because I know a lot of it just is instinct taking over. But 
from the moment that ball is coming down and you recognize there's a chance to catch it in lieu of knocking it down and then maybe do something with it, what were you thinking as it all unfolded? As the ball was in the air, uh, my only thought was like getting in the end zone. First, of course, was to catch it. Uh, but then I was like, okay, I need to get in the zone. Um, yeah, like you said, a lot of it was instinct. Now that I think back on it and I really tried to reflect on what I was thinking throughout the process, uh, a lot of it was just me reacting and running to open space. How often do you guys practice defending a Hail Mary? And do you have the green light to intercept it if you believe the play is there to be made? Every Friday, uh, or actually, yeah, every Friday at the end of our walkthrough, we practice offensive Hail Mary first and then defensive Hail Mary. Uh, and no, I have the red light to return any <laughs> Hail Marys. They want me They want me to knock it down. They want me to knock it down 100%. But in that moment, I mean, it was the second quarter. I mean, going into the sec into halftime, the score was close. I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to do that. And I was like, you know, might as well try it. So it turned out to be, uh, it turned out to fall on my side. Well, it was brilliant because it changed everything. It changed the entire vibe going into the half. It would have been 10 to 6 with two interceptions by your offense going into halftime, and it feels right. like a brand-new game. That was the dagger. It felt like it was over after that. Anything I can do to help the team win, man, I sign me up. So that just happened to be one of one of them, and I'm glad that I, I took that, that opportunity because it was great. I enjoyed it. I loved it, honestly. It was, it was a blast. Well, and we all loved watching it. Tell me this. Was there a moment – as you started to run where it went from let's just see where this goes to oh boy i i got a chance here to take this all the way yeah when i uh, cut back and it was just me and the quarterback one on one i was like okay this could be my first touchdown of my career so that right there and i was i was excited at that point when it was tim boyle and me i was like yeah nah there's no tackling me right here where's the football uh it is Right behind me, or you can't really see it, but it's behind this couch in the cluster bag of the other footballs. But I have a piece of tape on it, wrote 99 yards. And my dad just texted me yesterday and was like, make sure you write on it and sign it and make sure that you know it's that ball. So, yeah. Once you get a chance to come up with a plan for what you're going to do with it, do you, do you have an idea of where it's going to permanently be? Uh, Not right now. I've got uh, all my turnovers kind of in a basket. Uh, I don't have a wall set up or anything right now, but when I do, I'm definitely going to make sure I put that one in like a gold case as the, the Hail Mary, as the Jets fans want to call it. What did you think about playing on Black Friday? I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. I played on Thursday night before. Black Friday is like, you know, one extra day uh, to prepare, but I thought it was cool. I enjoyed it, honestly. Yeah. When do you get your turkey when you play the day after Thanksgiving? Uh, I had my turkey on Wednesday. I just put it out there early. So uh, when I come back, I don't got to worry about hosting nobody or making no more dinner. It's just leftovers already in there waiting for me. Is that a, a game you'd want to be involved in every year? I feel like some teams, at least from a management level, are putting the hand up saying, we'd like to do this every year as a player. Is that something you'd want to do every year or is one time enough? Uh, Yeah, I think that that would be pretty cool every year, honestly. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind it too much. Um, there wasn't too much stress on my body or anything like that. So I enjoyed it. What's it been like having hard knocks around? Uh, it's been cool, honestly. And they have been surprisingly like hidden almost like they don't really show the cameras in our face or anything like that. There's a lot of hidden cameras around, not hidden, but kind of tucked away so that they're not bothering us. But, uh, it's been cool. I've been, I've enjoyed it. And then the first episode was cool seeing how we kind of re 
re how we took Max Crosby's game and his like extracurricular activity in between plays and added that to practice and how Tua responded to that. I thought that was really unique. Is it a problem though to feel like and your coach used this term safe space? You've got your space, you, you've got your your club, you've got the place where you can say what you want, do what you want, be who you want, and that's kind of been invaded. Does it change how you feel when you're around now, or do you just get used to it and it's like they're not even there? Uh, initially, it did. Initially, I was a little uncomfortable, but then after a while, you kind of forget and you kind of just get back into your own groove. And then after that, you know, you realize that that's what really hard knocks will really want to see. That's what the fans really want to see you and your element and authentically yourself. So um, after a while, you know, you kind of just fall back into how you were, how you were before. Are they, are they recording any of this right now? Do you know, Not that I know. If they're, hidden, they if they're hidden, you don't know. Yeah. Unless they came in here and uh, installed some cameras when I was gone, but <laughs> right now, nah, nothing. Um, do you watch it? I know only one episode's been on. Second one's going to be on Tuesday night of this week. But do you have have you watched the first episode? Yeah, yeah, I watched the first episode. It was good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Okay. Um, Jalen Phillips injury from last Friday. I'm trying to think of a way to take a good, fun conversation and segue to something that isn't very good for your team or very good for Jalen Phillips. How does that impact your defense moving forward? Because he's a key part of it. He definitely is. It's, it's it's a tremendous impact. A lot of guys are going to have to step up. Um, but, you know, the challenge is in front of us and we're going to take it head on. Uh, it's it's tragic, though. It really is. You know, he, he's a workhorse, a hard, hard worker and great football player, better individual. So I know that he's going to return, you know, 10 times as good as he was now from this injury. But um, it's 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 tough. It was tough to see, you know, especially like getting to him when he was on the ground. That was that was difficult, you know, to be the one there and kind of see him in shock. So uh, but he's in he's in better spirits and, you know, he's he's on his way to recovery. So I'm happy for him and I'm going to be there helping him along with Chubb and everybody else on the defense and, and team. We're going to be there right there supporting him. Did he know what it was right away? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you, you could see it. You could see it snap like a rubber band. And we've seen that a couple of times this year. It happened with Kirk Cousins on grass. It happened with. Um, Jalen on on turf at MetLife Stadium after the game, where he Mostert came out and said they got to do something about this turf. Give me your opinion on the quality of the playing surface there at MetLife Stadium. You know, I, I don't know specifics, but I do know turf is tough on the body. Um, and being at that place, uh, I've had two of my friends now get injured from that. So I just think it needs to be done with. Honestly, I think it. You know, they need to really look into it and invest in you know a better playing surface for their team and teams around the league. I want to flesh this out a little bit with you too, because I hear this from players about how regardless of injury rates and regardless of whatever numbers the NFL would put out there to create the impression, there's a debate between turf and grass. Help me understand how different your body feels after playing a game on grass versus playing a game on artificial turf, whether it's MetLife stadium or anywhere else. Turf is it's a hard surface. There's no give like grass. There's, there's give and it, it works with when you cut, you can feel your cleats sink into the ground. Turf is, it's like playing on, not playing on asphalt, but it, in, in some terms it is, it's tough on your joints and your knees and your ankles. And when you hit the ground, there's no shock absorption to the ground. There's none of that. 
but on on grass there is you know when you fall on the ground you can roll and you feel like the earth isn't so hard um and that's the biggest thing for me honestly i think that turf is just really tough on the joints and it has a long a long lasting effect after practice after games like those things start to add up so playing on grass for me always feels better before I forget, because sometimes I do, and we're appreciative of TCL of making you available to us today. That's why you're here. Tell us what you're doing with TCL and what they're calling the Ultimate Game Day Update Campaign. Ultimate Game Day Upgrade, TCL TV. So they've been doing this all year. They have some outlandish deal for a specific type of play during the game. I was the first one to hit it on the nose um, with the 100, 90, not 100, 99-yard return, uh, but they needed, for my game, 98-yard plus, and then they were going to give away a million dollars worth of 98-inch TVs. I, myself, was one of the individuals that got one, and well, that is getting one. It's in the mail, and um, I think it's dope, but they're still doing it, and it's going to keep going on until the end of the year, but this upcoming Thursday, the Cowboys versus the Seahawks, they're giving out 50K in TVs if they score more than 50 points. I believe it's the two scores combined. Um, those are both high-flying offenses, so I'm sure that's going to be something that happens, but you can go to tcl.com slash upgrade to enter in a chance to win. And if they score more than 50 points, you can potentially get a TV. So that's awesome. And I misspoke. Ultimate game day upgrade campaign. Mm -hmm. Want to get that right. And it's a great opportunity for some people to get a 98 inch TV. Where the hell are you going to put a 98 inch TV? It's not something you can just stick in the corner. <laughs> nah, I got, I got a wall. I got a wall just enough. You know, it's like 84 <laughs> inches wide. My wall is like 90 inches. So I got a little bit of room on both sides. I'm excited for it. My girlfriend's not too excited for it. She's a little bit against it. But when she sees it and she sees the movies on in the TV and whatnot, it's going to be we're all good. It's going to be good. I have to ask you just a couple more real quick ones. First, what's been the chatter within the locker room about Tua having a chunk of flesh ripped out of his arm and not even seeming to notice it? And somehow he didn't bleed. I'm gonna be honest. This is new information for me. Wow. I saw the I saw the wow. bandaid on his arm. I didn't know it was a chunk. I was wondering why he was laying on the med table after the game, like blood, little sutures around him. But he's a he's tough as nails, man. He's tough as nails. There was an image of him going to break in the first quarter of that game, and you got he's got the tattoo sleeve on his arm, and mm -hmm. and I looked at it and I said there's a chunk missing from his arm. And I, I thought I was seeing things. And then later you see him, he's sitting there and he's completely unfazed by it. And he's got a hole in his arm before they patched it. So yeah, uh, that's, that's uh, a very high tolerance to pain and uh, complete disregard to your body to have a chunk of your arm missing and, and just, yeah. you know, keep on going. Is that, I mean, that's I, probably one of the misconceptions about Tua because he seems like a nice guy, friendly, gets along, smiling. He seems like he's pretty damn tough. He is. He's very tough. He's very tough. And that, I mean, it doesn't have to be necessarily a misconception. Like you can be nice and you can be friendly, but you can also be tough as nails. And you see that in Tua. You're going out there with half of his, half of his tricep gone, like a shark bit it out. So he's just, you know, he's a hard nosed football player. Let me ask you this though, because that's how you have to play as a defensive player. You have to have that switch flip to go, go, go all the time inflicting physical contact on others and you have to get into a certain mindset to do it how hard is it 
to flip that switch on and off when, you know, it's time to not play a game, not be at practice, not be aggressive all the time and welcoming physical contact with someone else? That's a great question. And it's difficult because turning it on back on is probably the hardest part. Because once you're in that mode of relaxation and calmness, then you kind of you kind of just get accustomed to that, and it it's nice and it's comfortable. But turning that you know that that flipping that switch and going back in that to that dark place, it takes some it takes some times. It takes a real lot of talent to be able to do that. So um, it's difficult, you know. It, what do you do? It, it, you like go on social media and look for people calling you bad names, or I mean, what what, <laughs> what do you do to get yourself nah, back you, there? You just gotta, you just gotta find it, man. I can't really explain it. You just have to find that dark place, that dark place, and that's where a lot of people go. That's where you know guys like Ray Lewis and James Harrison, Malu, like Bob Sanders. That's where those type of individuals went to to play. It's like you're going to war, you know, when you step in those white lines. So you got to be mentally prepared for that. I assume you're playing this game with the aspiration to be mentioned in that same list of players. What what are you personally working on to do? to have the kind of career where when someone down the road is talking to me about playing defense, your name gets thrown in there with Bob Sanders and Troy Polamalu and Ed Reed. There are too many, too many specific things to name. Uh, but I would say take advantage of the opportunities when they present themselves and be ready to react when be ready. So you don't have to get ready. You know, that's as best as I can explain it because when the opportunities are there, they present themselves. I want to be able to be ready. So like I said, I don't have to get ready. I can just take advantage of them. And those are what those individuals did, especially Ed Reed, who is like the pinnacle for safeties. You know what I mean? Like every opportunity he could get on every phase, he was able to affect the game. So that's what I want to do. Well, and you did it on Friday with the 99-yard interception return on a Hail Mary attempt with everyone watching, changing the flow of the game and guaranteeing the win for the Dolphins. Javon, congratulations on that moment. We appreciate some of your time. All the best as the season continues forward. Thanks again to Javon Holland and the folks at TCL for making him available to us. It was a fun conversation and the Dolphins are a fun team. We'll see what they can do the rest of the way and whether they can end up with that number one seed in the AFC, which would go a long way potentially toward them getting to the Super Bowl because huge difference between playing at home and playing on the road when you're talking about games in the month of January. All right, question time. PFTPM Posse, is Jimmy Johnson on the way out at the Fox pregame show? His presence or lack thereof the last couple of years has been noticeable. I, I don't know. I don't worry about that. He's done when he's ready to move on and or Fox is ready to move on. But I think he's 80 now or close to it. He's been doing it a long time. It's a way to stay connected to the game. He's got a valuable perspective. And that's up to Fox and up to Jimmy Johnson as to how much longer that's going to last. But you know, I, I've seen the complaints that Fox maybe needs to, you know, cycle out a little bit, get some fresher perspectives from people who have been in the league more recently than Jimmy Johnson. He hasn't coached in, what, 27, 28 years. He was with the Dolphins through 1996, I believe. Could be wrong. Possibly wrong. Wouldn't be the first time today. Wouldn't be the first time probably this show that I was wrong. But uh, you, you see that argument, and I think maybe the same thing is going to happen at CBS, where after the season, maybe it all gets blown up, except for maybe Nate Burleson, everybody else gone and cycled out. Because that's the challenge for any former coach or player who transitions into the media. You've got to find a way to stay anchored in the game so your opinions are relevant and fresh and timely and that they reflect how things currently work in the NFL. And for a lot of players... It's very difficult to shift 
from player mindset to fan mindset. You have to bring a fan mindset to it. You have to bring a curiosity to it. To the extent that what's happening exceeds your own personal experience, you've got to be willing to find out from friends, from colleagues, from people you know, from people you've met while working in the media. Use those relationships to keep the saw sharp, to keep your knowledge fresh and current. Because otherwise, you're telling stories about stuff that happened 30 years ago. The game's changed. The game's changed dramatically. Every network needs analysts who are clued in to what's happening currently. So the longer you're in media, the greater the obligation to harvest and maintain and nurture those relationships that allow you to understand exactly what's currently happening in the National Football League. PFT PM Posse, do you think we'll start seeing hearing players forego the NFL draft this year because of NIL money? If so, will it have a material or noticeable impact on the NFL and or the draft? I don't think it's going to happen with many but it's going to happen with the players at the top. Eventually, someone's going to say, I won't sign a contract with you and I don't need to because I have 10 million, 15 million, 20 million in the bank from my NIL deal. It gives a player a degree of security that he never had before. I don't need your money. I've got my money. Oh, and I'll keep doing commercials. I'll keep, I'll continue to be around. I still have a name that people want to be associated with because they know I'm coming to the NFL eventually. So, I'll sit out a year if need be. That's what Caleb Williams might do. Rob Buffalo. Hi, Mike. Similar to the Tepper discussion on PFT Live this morning, do you look at the behavior of NFL owners with other teams and how the football operations are run? Terry Pagula with the Sabres, Stan Kroenke with the Avalanche and the Nuggets, Josh Harris with the Devils and the 76ers. I think that there's relevance, big picture, as it relates to how an owner that has multiple teams deals with issues with one team. I think that's very relevant because it's not like you're dealing with these issues all the time. So anything you do under the broader umbrella of sports ownership is potentially relevant. I mean, look, Tepper's fired a couple of coaches from his MLS team in just two years of existence of that franchise. And he's fired two coaches in two years with the Panthers. I, I think it, it's transferable because it's the same people making these decisions. So yes, I think it's fair to look at how the other organizations are run. People are looking at how Josh Harris ran the Devils in the 76ers when he took over. How long of a grace period did he apply before he started making big changes? So I think it's it's highly relevant because ultimately it's the same people. Tom Marshall with the, with the current crop of quarterbacks in the division is the Titans head coaching job now the toughest. Well, you know, they could have something in Will Levis. Now he looked good at first. It's kind of, I don't know, plateaued, regressed, but you've got C.J. Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, and Anthony Richardson. That's a tough division moving forward, and that Titans job could be a tough one. And, you know, at a time when so many people are talking about whether or not the Titans should want to move on from Mike Vrabel, I think the real question is whether or not Vrabel should want to move on from the Titans, especially if the Patriots are interested in bringing him home. That is something I'm definitely keeping an eye on as the season works its way toward a conclusion. Another one from Tom Marshall, will the potential availability of Bill Belichick affect this year's hiring and firing cycle? It will, but I firmly believe, and I explained this yesterday on Rich Eisen's show, and I think I've talked about it here in the past. It's all going to be set up before we get to the end of the season. Somebody asked Bill Belichick this week if he already knows where he's going to be next year, and he said that's ridiculous. Well, it probably is too early for him to know for sure, but he's never going to admit if he knows, when he knows, whether he's going to go here, there, or wherever. 
I still think by the end of the season, before it's time to activate the formal process of trying to trade for Bill Belichick, there'll be a loose understanding of where he wants to go, who wants to hire him, what it's going to take to get him to, to go to that team by way of money and by way of power, and what it's going to take to get the Patriots to allow that team. When the team makes the formal phone call requesting permission to talk to Bill Belichick and negotiating the terms of whatever it would take if they hire Bill Belichick, what the compensation would be. I think those questions will already be resolved ahead of time, informally. And this will just be the formal process that plays out. And, and I think the reality is, watch the first couple of days after the season ends. If Belichick doesn't leave the Patriots through a firing, a retirement, a resignation, or a mutual parting, if he doesn't exit then, then that's when I think we sit back and wait for the possibility that, that someone will make the formal request and it will play out a few weeks down the road that Belichick goes to a new team and that the Patriots get compensation in return. And as I say that, there is a possibility of like the Sean Payton scenario where Belichick leaves on his own and before he's allowed to go somewhere else, a team would have to work out compensation for him. I hadn't thought of that before. That's possible. The problem, though, is it's kind of hard to draw to drive a hard bargain if you're the Patriots in that scenario. Because if you want too much, I was saying this with Sean Payton last year when they were trying to negotiate a deal with the Saints and the Broncos for Payton to become the coach in Denver. If the Saints want too much, all Sean Payton has to say is fine. I'll be back to work on Monday because the only reason that the Patriots in this case or the Saints in Peyton's case can get anything is because they still hold the player or the coach's contract. Fine. I'll honor my contract. I'll come back to work. Put me back to work. And that would potentially, if it plays out that way, and I, I'd like to think that after 20 plus years together, it wouldn't be an ugly parting where there's a power play and it's awkward and who's willing to push this all the way to the limit. I'd like to think they just work it out. But there, there is that other path where Belichick leaves, waits for someone to approach him, knowing that before they could hire him, before they could even talk to him in theory, they'd have to have a deal in place for the Patriots on what it's going to take to get him. Understanding that once a relationship ends, the Patriots necessarily have less leverage because Belichick's option, worst case scenario, would be to say, hey, you want a first round pick? You want this, you want that. You're trying to keep me from going to a new place. I'll just come back and coach until you fire me. And then if you fire me, I get to go wherever I want to go. Dr. J144, am I the only one who likes seeing the Texans being rewarded for not tanking last year? Lovey Smith, unlike when he was in Tampa, did try to win that final game last year. Houston ended up better off by winning the game and getting CJ Stroud. May as well try to win them all and forget tanking. That meshes with a point that Sean Payton made on PFT Live right after he left the Saints when the issue of tanking came up. His point is you should never do it because it, it introduces a losing mindset to your organization. And that's not good for anybody. The players who will be there after the tanking has concluded, after you get that first overall pick, they will have been warped by the experience because the team didn't try to win every single game. And the players believe there's a loser's mentality in the organization. 
And one of the reasons why you don't do that is there's no guarantee that that guy that you qualify to get by tanking is going to be your savior. So, yeah, this year is an example of tanking not working, of having that first overall pick and it not yielding the best possible talent. So in a roundabout way, the Texans did get rewarded for not losing that last game of the season. It's just too uncertain. It's too much of a crapshoot. Why try to lose games? I, I And I, I've said many times, there's no good business reason to try to win games once you know you're not making it to the playoffs. And the way you tank isn't by telling your players, go out and play poorly. It's by saying, we want to evaluate how these younger players are going to do. But, you know, the players get a sense when a team's trying to win and when it isn't. And that is the thing that can be a detriment moving forward. What kind of culture are you trying to create in an organization? And if the players sniff out the idea that you're not trying to win all your games, that you're willing to lose now in the hopes of winning later, that could make it a problem as you try to turn the page on that year in which you tanked. All right, I want to see what else is here. I should probably wrap this up. I'm factoring in, as I go about 40 minutes into this, the reality that the Javon Holland interview is part of this too. Scrolling and scrolling. Dr. J144, have you, are, are you seeing enough from Kyler Murray since his return to pass on drafting a quarterback and help get and get help for Kyler Murray instead? I just think that that's a decision the Cardinals are going to have to make. It's the same as the decision that the, the Bears are going to have to make about Justin Fields. What do we do here? What do we do? And I, I've said this before. There are three types of teams in the NFL, teams that have franchise quarterbacks, teams that don't, and teams that have a quarterback that may become a franchise quarterback. We just need more time. Fields and Murray fall into that category. How much time do you give them? How much longer do you go before you call it? And the risk of calling it is, number one, that guy you draft may not be as good as the guy who you just had. Number two, that guy you just had may be better somewhere else, making you look like a moron for giving up on him. And number three, remember this. And this is something that I'm urging all teams to be sensitive to. The amount of pressure you're putting on the new guy. The Panthers put a ton of pressure on Bryce Young by trading from number nine to number one and giving up everything they gave up. A ton of pressure on Bryce Young. The 49ers put a ton of pressure on Trey Lance, giving up everything they did to go from 12 to three and draft the guy who was going to supplant Jimmy Garoppolo, but not right away, maybe after a year. Oh, we'll try him here. Oh, we'll try him there. Oh, now he's the starter. Oh, he broke his ankle. Oh, we're done with him. Just too much pressure to put on a kid. You want it to kind of happen organically and naturally, but, but remember, if you're one of these teams that has a guy that you're not quite sure, and you decide he's not going to become a franchise quarterback, we're going to try to draft one, you're putting extra pressure on that player. Now, the flip side is, hey, if this guy's the real deal, he'll welcome it, and he'll thrive under that pressure, and he'll become the guy that we need him to be. Da -da, let's see. Here's an interesting question. Logan Mapes, could the Panthers and David Tepper be the ones behind the pre-draft slow processor test scores of C.J. Stroud to sell more people on the decision to draft Bryce Young. See, I thought all along that the crap that was being spread about C.J. Stroud was being spread by someone who wanted Stroud to drop so they could get him. I hadn't considered the possibility that the Panthers were the ones spreading it just to make the selection of Bryce Young look better. But, you know, here's the reality. Whatever you do pre-draft, the guy's eventually going to play. And the proof is going to come from that. And so far, it's been pretty conclusive that C.J. Stroud, the far better option 
to Bryce Young, but I hadn't thought about that possibility. It was the Panthers that were putting it out there. J.C. Carm, how does Scott Fitter keep floating under the radar? He's been there through all the Panthers coaches and quarterbacks. Doesn't he bear some of the responsibility for this mess? Yes, but if he's just doing what David Tepper wants him to do, why would you fire him? Now, maybe you get to a point where you fire him just so you're creating the impression you're doing something to make things better. But, you know, I frankly think one of the reasons Howie Roseman has survived as long as he has in Philly, he's kind of found a sweet spot where Jeffrey Lurie's involved, where Jeffrey Lurie is making decisions, and Howie Roseman is the one who's taking the heat when those decisions go poorly. You need someone like that if you don't want to take the ultimate responsibility for these bad decisions. Although they, the way that uh, David Tepper spoke yesterday, he, he made it clear the buck stops with him. So he doesn't seem to be somebody who's afraid of taking the heat. We'll see how he feels after he takes the heat for a little while longer after everything that's happened in Carolina. All right. Um, I'm going to call it there. If I didn't get to your question and you feel strongly about it, ask it next week. We'll do it next Wednesday. We'll do it every Wednesday in season. We'll do PFT Live every morning and ProFootballTalk.com. Open around the clock. No locks on the doors here. Thanks for some of your time. As always, we'll see you next week.